time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hello and welcome to a special mini-sode of the Feelin' Film podcast. I'm Aaron, your host, and today with me I have a special guest, uh, Reed Lackey from the Fear of God podcast. Say hi, Reed. How you doing? Good, man. I'm doing all right. I'm I'm so glad to have you here to uh, talk about uh, this film with us, knowing that we wanted to cover a horror film. Anytime we do that here on our show, Patrick, my my regular co-host, tends to bow out. He's not a huge fan of the genre, <laughs> and you know that's totally okay. Uh, but I am, and I like to talk about them. So when we decided to cover today's film, Blair Witch, the new sequel to the smash hit Blair Witch Project from the late 90s, 99, I think it was, actually. It was 99, yeah. Good deal, yeah, it's been a while. Um, yeah, so I, I'm glad that you are able to be here. Um, Reed, you have your own podcast that just started up, uh, as I mentioned, The Fear of God, and that is about horror films and the connection with faith. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. Yeah, we look at the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre. We primarily focus on movies, but we do look at, we have some episodes coming up where we're going to start looking at uh, books and writers and uh, even a couple of songs that uh, are known pop culturally, but then they deal with some horror themes. Oh, wow. So you're going to do multiple different types of media. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Cool. Well, uh, with these minisodes, we don't typically linger too long. We just jump right into the material, and that's totally okay with me because I think we've both seen this within the last several days, and we've talked about it some offline, and I'm anxious to get more in-depth with your thoughts on the film uh, based on what I've heard so far. So uh, why don't we start by, I guess, setting the stage here. This is a new sequel to the Blair Witch Project. Um, at the beginning, this movie was actually called uh, The Woods for right. the last year, year and a half. I remember it being on my radar uh, as something I wanted to see in September when I just knew it was a horror movie about some kids out in the woods. And around July, end of July, it was announced that this was a secret title. I think, I believe actually it might have been at Comic-Con. I think it and was at Comic-Con, yeah. I Comic-Con. think it was, and an, an audience went in to see it and then didn't know what they were going to see. They just knew they were going to see The Woods, and there was a teaser trailer that played saying, Blair Witch is hiding in The Woods, which is brilliant. Mm-hmm. I mean, from a marketing standpoint, I love that, and I think that the marketing of the original film is you know, obviously a big part of the experience. Yeah. So... Yeah, so this got announced that it was a Blair Witch sequel. Sequel. I got super excited myself about it, and that brought us to its release date just a week or so ago. But what is your history with the Blair Witch Project? I know I have I have a story I'm going to tell, but most people, it's kind of a special movie where they can say, I remember when I saw mm-hmm. this, I remember yeah. my experience. Do you have something like that? Uh, absolutely, I do. There's a, There are very few uh film experiences where I can remember the details surrounding having seen the movie, and Blair Witch Project is one of them. I can remember when the film first came out, uh, or the movie poster first came out, and it had that small little tagline. I can't remember what the tagline specifically said, but it had something like, you know, three teenagers or three people disappeared in the the woods around Burkittsville. 
uh, and then four years later, their footage was found. And you know, the fact that the poster says their footage was found was uh, prophetic in a way for the uh, creation of the subgenre. But I can remember I was very intrigued by it. I went to visit the website for it, and the website for it was entirely presented as if this was a true thing, a true story. Mm-hmm. So I remember thinking, like, how did the family get, like, why did they get permission to show this? Because this sounds pretty intense. And so sure enough, I go see the movie, like, I'm very curious about this. I sit in there watching it. I'm spending the whole movie going, is this, is this real? Like, did this happen? Like, what, what in the world is this? Because I saw it on its opening weekend. I was like, this, I, I don't know how I feel about this. I remember... It was the first and only time that I did this for this reason. I waited through the end of the credits because I was waiting for the final legal tagline that says this is a work of fiction and any resemblance to characters or people living or dead is purely coincidental. I waited. I wasn't waiting for a bonus scene. (laughs) I wasn't waiting for some teaser or sequel. I was waiting for the legal reprieve that this was not real (laughs) because I was so unnerved by it. And even still, even still seeing that, I can remember the drive home and I can remember thinking, like, I have nobody to talk to about this, but I really need a hug. Like, this is... <laughs> this a great... is, Oh, it was... Yeah, so it had a profound impact on me. It really did. That's awesome. So I, I, think, I think most people had a similar experience with it uh, as far as, like, the viral marketing campaign went. I mean, it was really genius. It was one of the first ones ever. Uh, when the you know boon of the internet was coming into play, and right. I, I don't believe that it could ever be quite copied that same way. Um, yeah, Tim Cloverfield Lane actually did a masterful job of it this year mm-hmm. in doing something similar with releasing a, an augmented reality game that kind of gave you some clues to the story before the movie released. Um, and that was like a nod to the Blair Witches uh, with the method that they used. So right. for me... I had a, a similar experience. So I, I also saw it, I believe, opening weekend. I don't know, it may, may have been the second week, but it was mm. it was definitely before I knew it was fake. Mm. Um, I was engaged at the time, and my fiancé was with me in Texas. And I just, I remember it clear as day. Um, I, was, I was in the Navy, and so I lived, I was a young sailor. I lived on a ship. And since she was there visiting, we had a hotel for that weekend or that long period of time that she was there. And so we went to see the film and of course it wrecked us <laughs> as yeah. it did most people who saw it for the first time. And I left before the end credits. Now it's funny you mentioned that because the second time I specifically stayed to watch them for the very reason that you did. Oh, and that's I kinda, funny. <laughs> I kind of wish I'd have done that the first time. Um, but we left it like fully believing that it was real. Well, I guess maybe not fully believing. We left it questioning it's reality and honestly considering that maybe it could have happened. And so we end up going back to our, our hotel room that night and we were on the first floor and we're laying there just unwinding and we turn on the TV and I, we happened upon the sci-fi channel. And I don't know if you ever saw this, but right in uh, coinciding with the release of the, the Blair Witch Project, they, were, they put out a documentary on the sci-fi channel. Yes. And it was called The Curse of the Blair Witch. Yes. Oh, yes. And we watched it. <laughs> and it was a mockumentary, but it wasn't mock. I mean, it was a fake documentary, but it wasn't like a humorful one. No, and not at all. And it was basically proving that the movie was real. And I remember both of us just like hugging, I mean, to your point, you know, like closely, <laughs> like freaking out because we believe this was real. And 
around the time that ended, we were <laughs> we were brushing our teeth. Gosh, I remember it like it was it's so vivid. We're wow. brushing our teeth and the shadows on the wall or on the windows from outside, there were these big trees and they were there was really windy nights. So they were blowing. Oh my god. And gosh. then the tree started blowing up against the window and it would smack and crackle up against the window and we lost it. We dropped our toothbrushes in the sink. We climbed in the bathtub and shut the door. Like, I'm oh not kidding gosh. you. I, I really, truly, for one night of my life, I 100% believed that there was a Blair Witch. <laughs> and yeah. she was coming oh, yeah. to get me. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's just, I just think it's neat to frame our talk about the sequel with our past experience with the original. Cause that's, sure. that's where it came from. And that's what uh, made the ability for this one to even exist. And so because of that, Blair Witch is definitely one of my all time favorite film or the Blair Witch project is one of my all time favorite films uh, sure. just because of the experience. So with all that being said, um, this is not the first sequel to Blair Witch. That was another question I had for you. Have you seen the, the second movie? It's called Blair Witch uh, two book of shadows. I unfortunately have seen it, but to be honest with you, I saw it when it was when it first came out afterwards. Uh, I didn't go see it in the theater. I did go rent it because here's what I remember about it, and it's about the only thing I remember about it, that they had some big push for the special features on the DVD where if you watched the movie like in reverse or something, you were supposed to get some weird mad clue as to the Blair Witch mystery or whatever. They really made a big deal about the 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 sequels, the special features uh, mm. uh, on the on the DVD were supposedly outstanding. They were not, but I remember that's about all that I remember about the movie. It is so utterly forgettable to me. I can still I did not rewatch the Blair Witch Project before going to see the sequel. I can still remember specific moments from the Blair Witch Project. I couldn't tell you a single thing about Book of Shadows. Couldn't tell you one one scene, one moment. So forgettable. I I have to completely agree with you, and it's it, it didn't feel like it was part of the canon at all. It felt very detached no. and just uh, it, you know, this one is completely different <laughs> than than that one was. I remember oh, yeah. there being an attractive redhead in it. Uh, I was in my twenties when I saw it, and that's what stuck out, I guess, um, <laughs> at the time. Yeah, and that's that's it. I just remember some women in the woods doing crazy things, and that there was nudity uh, that was oh, yeah. very yeah. unnecessary. I don't know why that sticks out to me, but um, it's just a departure from you know the original film and this film in pretty much every way. So that means that we have to ask ourselves the question, did the Blair Witch Project really need another sequel? Mm. Um, what do you think? Well, I, th- I would, I would probably answer that question by saying, and, and I, I know I, I don't want to pick at semantics here, but a lot of times people will use that statement. They'll say like, do we need another one or do, do we need another sequel? And I honestly think that whether or not you need one is justified by the quality or the intention of the, of what you get. So mm. like I, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, did we really need seven Rocky movies? No, we didn't need seven Rocky movies, but Creed and Rocky Balboa, like some of the last entries of the franchise, are so amazing. I'm so glad we have them, you know. Um, we only needed really the one, but there were good stories to be told. So I think if the story is good and if the idea is good, then that question will largely become irrelevant with time. Whereas I think if that story is bad, the definitive answer that goes down in history is we didn't need that. That was not necessary in any way, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. I'm actually really glad you brought that up because 
there is a, a huge misuse of the word need. Uh, even in me asking the question, you know, of did we need this or not? We don't really need any of this <laughs> to be completely <laughs> honest. Right. Do we right. want this? Um, I, did you, I, let me phrase it this way then. Did you, did you want another Blair Witch Project sequel? Was that something that had, had you had thought about before this announcement? I, I never had, but the moment that they made the, so the, so when it was still called the woods, mm-hmm. it was on my radar. I did not attend Comic-Con, but coming at, the news coming out of Comic-Con, there was actually another Blair Witch. I was immediately incredibly excited. I was very excited. I mean, it made me, I, I don't want to rabbit trail this too much, but it made me think about like, what an interesting way to market your film, like keep it a secret for as long as you can, which is nearly impossible in today's climate of, you know, s- websites entirely devoted to production spoilers for mm-hmm. choices that are happening within the plot and the script and everything. People are so sort of rabid for for information as quickly as you can possibly get it. And I thought it was really exciting. So I didn't know I wanted one until they <laughs> and- said, this is a new Blair Witch one. And I'm like, this is great. Like, I- I'm-, I'm super excited because I was already going to see it. I'm a big Adam Wingard fan, so I was already going to go see it. But now the fact that it's Blair Witch, like the, you know, the brief example I'd give is like, imagine if, you know, in three or four years you have something come out where it's like you have a little family moving into a suburban town and, and they meet their neighbors. It's just called the neighborhood, you know, it's just called the neighborhood or something. And then they, they're moving around and then you see like, oh, weird things are happening in this house and weird things are happening that they're having uh, visions or scary things and they're having nightmares and all of this other kind of stuff and then you don't find out until like the last 15 seconds of the trailer when one of the kids wakes up with a, a four-bladed glove on his front that it's a new freddy krueger movie you know it's right. like oh you know like that's that's what they moved into immediately your excitement amps up you know and that's my experience with blair witch is i was like oh man this is this is killer you know that is so great. I I had almost an identical experience to that. I I did not think about it previously. Didn't have any, you know, ongoing plans to to get hyped about a sequel. Um, I actually just rewatched the original earlier this year for the first time in several years, which is was interesting timing. It was before the announcement. Uh, oh wow! But but then yeah, the moment that it came out, I just was nuts. I was going all over the internet. Just I wanted to eat up every piece of info I could find. Sure. Um, I agree. Adam Wingard is, it was someone that I wanted to see what he was going to do anyway, after his previous films. Um, I think we're both fans of Oculus. Very much. Little, little known and under, underappreciated horror film from a few years ago. So I, I too was pretty excited and I have been on the big hype train since this came out. So I guess that leads me to our first topical question when we start talking about Blair Witch's sequel, and that is, it sounds like both of us had pretty high expectations based on our levels of hype. Yep. And so I know now kind of what yours were as far as I, I know you were expecting something good. Um, that definitely affects our experience, I believe, with the film, um, how we go into it. Uh, I, you saw this with a friend, is that correct? I saw it with two buddies of mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Were they both as excited for it as you were? No, they and they weren't down on it. They were just kind of. Uh, so I saw it with uh, my friend Ken and my friend Kyle. They happen to be father and son, but I'm I'm good friends with both of them. And um, so uh, the dad had seen the Blair Witch Project. The son had not. 
So they had they had different sort of ideas going into it. The dad had, had known it, had seen it, had wondered if it was real, all that same kind of stuff. So he had a very different sort of expectation coming into it than the son did. All three of us walked out with the same exact feeling about the film, which I thought was interesting because it, while I would agree with you that expectations are almost everything in how you feel about a film coming out of it, it was interesting to me that our expectations were all over the map chart-wise, but all of us came out thinking and saying the same things. That is pretty darn cool. Um, yeah. that, <laughs> that's some high praise, actually, for the film, honestly, is that it can connect with both fans of the film and maybe people who had not seen it. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that I don't think that this was going to win over those who had seen Blair Witch Project and not liked it. I feel I agree like, with that. I feel like it was similar enough to the original film, I mean, to the point where literally there are some beat by beat recreations of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, uh, when they are, when they're get, especially between the time when they start and they, you know, meet Lane and gosh, what was the other Talia? Is it Talia? Talia? Yeah. Yeah. Lane and Talia. When they meet Lane and Talia, that kind of embarking process is almost the same. They, they end up in a hotel they get drunk the night before they go camping. There's a whiskey bottle. These are literally scene for scene things that happened in right. the Blair Witch Project. Um, so I don't think it would. It's necessarily going to completely win over people who didn't like it in the first place, the original. But um, yeah, so my expectation going in was that it would hold up to the original's premise. That it would focus on the original's premise because Book of Shadows just didn't seem to do that. Yeah. And that it would modernize it enough to make it more interesting. Mm. So I think let's talk about that first, because okay. since we know that it is very much a similar film to the Blair Witch Project, as far as tonally and just structurally how it plays out, you know, you get you get you get all geared up to go make a documentary about something. Uh, you go into the woods and you think that you're bigger and badder than the woods and then it's not going to affect you. It does affect you. It scares you to death and then <laughs> bad things happen. Um, and then there's a house <laughs> like, like that's pretty much structurally the exact same, same story. But the technology piece here was uh, something that I know you had mentioned to me as, as interesting. What do you think, or, or I guess, did you, did you like the technology use here? Did you think it was modernized? So, I didn't think about I didn't think about this coming out of the film, but in the days since I saw it, I have since uh, I was very praising of this film coming out of it. I'm still going to be very praising of this film coming out of it, but I have landed on a couple of things that I'll acknowledge. Okay, these were potentially some missed opportunities that the story could have taken, could have done more with. And the very first thing that I would point to was the advancements of technology in the 17 years since. The Blair Witch Project, because in the Blair Witch Project, you have grainy video camera work. That's that's all you have to deal with. You just got essentially a camcorder, you know, that they that they made this film with. But today you've got phones with better cameras in them than even the handheld camcorder that they had in 1999. And they have the drone and they have the GPS. So I, I started thinking as my, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer as well, and my writer's brain sort of starts to go, and I'm like, you know what might have been cool? They really sort of underused that drone, because when that drone flies up, 
it's effective that you can see, okay, they're, they're secluded, they're isolated, they're in these woods, there's woods in every direction. But one thing I thought might be kind of cool is if they had maybe seen like in the distance uh, sort of a black cloud kind of trying to form, and maybe that black cloud was growing. I even envisioned, you know, this is the lost fan in me, but I even envisioned maybe like the cloud suddenly notices the drone, quote-unquote notices the drone, and turns and suddenly starts to come to the drone, and that's when the drone like fails and falls, and they're like, what was that? What is that? You know? And then maybe that could provide sort of a backdoor explanation to why everything goes dark and why it's always night. Um, and then I thought about like the GPS thing, and this will be the last thing I say because I'm not going to, you know, rattle it off with these tangents. But um, the uh, the GPS, I thought, you know, you have this thing on your phone where you can chart when you're walking, and you can look at the map of like, oh, this is the path we're taking. After uh, Lane and Talia had revealed, oh, are we doing spoilers? Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to wait. As soon as you were done, actually, I was going to say, by the way, uh, this is a full spoiler show. And (laughs) if you've gotten this far, I think you're safe. But (laughs) if you do not want to be spoiled, turn away now and come back after after you go see the movie. So continue. (laughs) Okay. So so after Lane and Talia reveal that they faked that first set of stick figures, you know, I thought it might be pretty cool if they just if they don't have any more stick figures. If they don't now, I will make one comment about that that I loved the scene where they oh, broke the oh, stick figure. Mm, that's mm. that's one of the most effective scares in the movie. You know, loved is a relative word in this case. My <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I will say that um, I thought it might be interesting if when when they realize that they might be getting lost, like or maybe they don't even realize that they're lost. Maybe they're just like, hey, I've been charting my. My steps. I've been walk. I've been, you know, using my phone to map where we're walking. And then when they look at the map of the pattern that they like, when they get back to the camp and they look at the map and the pattern of what they've seen, they realize that the pattern is in the shape of one of those stick figures. And I thought, oh, that would be a great use of like modern technology to invade this sort of idea. And I think just in general, the final statement I'll make on that is that I do think that. While they introduced new technology, I don't think they did anything with the the quote unquote Blair Witch's power over this technology, or why she had the ability to disrupt it in other than just making it short out or making it stop working. You know, uh, I thought they could have utilized a bit more of that, you know, a- uh, access to technology to have some better scare moments. I thought. Wow, those are all really good suggestions. Uh, you should uh, you should apply for uh, a writing position on Adam <laughs> Wingard's next film because the idea you just gave about like walking around with the the GPS mapping the steps and ending up in the stick figure um, that you know that would have been a creepy moment. That would have been oh, a yeah. moment that truly would have been one of those oh my goodness gracious did that just happen yeah. kind of feelings. So I I had similar a similar feeling to you as with the technology, I think, I think missed opportunity is a great word for it. Um, because while it's there and there's this whole scene about, you know, them having this arsenal of camera options and things like first, first thing I was wondering is like, how the heck did they get all this stuff? Right. Right. (laughs) But you know, they have these Bluetooth cameras that are on their headsets or these Bluetooth headsets that are a camera. And I guess the quality of video that you would actually get from that, doesn't feel realistic to me. And it's, it's kind of a, a pro and a con in my book because the cinematography in this film is one of my big, 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 big pluses. Mm, So I'm kind of glad that they didn't truly give that 
that that Bluetooth headset camera its legitimate quality of video that it would produce because I preferred seeing it in crystal clear HD. Um, But, you know, it's not exactly fully accurate either. Um, The drone, again, I agree, felt like a wasted opportunity there. Like they could have just done so much more with it. It was so cool. Um, But it just almost provides nothing other than a reason for Ashley to trek off in the woods by herself. Yeah. And for her to do one of the dumbest things in the entire movie, which was climb the tree with a broken leg to try and get it. Like, I just... That was probably one of the scenes that just didn't work with me very much. I agree. Uh, because I, I did fully expect her to reach out, and I thought, at the very least, I thought maybe the drone spinning up there, it's going to, like, cut her fingers off, and that's when she's going to fall mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. But even that doesn't, even that doesn't happen. It, I guess its usage does provide us, the positive there is that it po- provides us with the camera perspective of Ashley in the tree, because mm. we, couldn't, we couldn't have gotten that. Like there's no other way for her to climb a tree and us to see it because this is found footage film unless there's a camera up there that happens to be showing her. So in that regard, it was cool uh, to be able to show that play out. But I I, like you. I don't think that the technology made any difference in the in the film. I mean, they they could have essentially not had any of it and it would have been the exact same movie. I agree. Um, So, you know. I get let's I, we should just go straight to this because this is the most important thing in my opinion. This is a horror film mm-hmm. and horror films. Um, both of us, I think have a more, I don't want to talk too highly of ourselves, but we have a more refined perspective on horror films than maybe a general audience does. So we, we go into horror films and we're looking for uh, connections to either faith-based uh, concepts or reasons, ideals, um, we're looking for psychological things. We're looking for, for ideas and things that make you think a lot of people go to horror movies to be scared. They go because they want that feeling of intensity of fear. Right. Um, That's where the genre kind of gets its roots uh, from. And so I ask you, was it scary? And what did scare you in the movie? Well, I will say, you know, I mentioned that myself and my two friends that I had, we walked out and we all had the same feeling about it. These friends had also seen, and we chatted about it beforehand. They had also seen Lights Out, and they had seen Ooh. Don't, and they had seen Don't Breathe. We all felt coming out of the end of that that oh, the, the scariest of the three was actually Blair Witch <laughs> in terms of pure like scariest. Mm-hmm. Um, we we could rabbit trail in a whole conversation about scariest versus best or whatever, but the the question posed about scariest. The one that had the most sort of nerve-wracking tension for us and giving us the most chills, making us jump the most, was Blair Witch. Uh, I think Blair Witch is very specifically dependent upon its startle scares. And that, if somebody were to hurl a criticism at it, I would have to agree. Because I think that almost all of the scares in Blair Witch... Are with with one major exception that I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, with one major exception, almost all of the quote unquote scares are jump moments <laughs> to the point that I think even somebody uh, I it's think meta. Somebody... Yes, yeah, it's yeah. meta. He's aware of it. That's what I don't understand. Is that I feel like Wingard is above this. I really do. Mm-hmm. And and he he understands it's got so it feels like he knows he's doing it. 
Yeah. Because he puts yeah. that he puts that line in there where someone turns to another character and is like, Will you stop that? <laughs> like <laughs> exactly. enough. Exactly. And that's what made me think, you know, because clearly he is smart enough and savvy enough to understand that this is the lion's share of his fear factor is in these startle moments, in the sound design, in the the trickery of the camera, you know, uh, quickly flashing to something. And, you know, I mean, like we talked about that stick moment where, you know, they break the stick and, and hence break something else. That moment would not have been nearly as effective if when the stick broke, it didn't shatter the subwoofers in the theater when I was, you know, sitting there. Because that's the, that's what it's dependent upon. It's, it's, one thing that I think is under talked about in the film is its sound design. And oh, sound is something that is vital in horror films. I mean, I think horrors, the horror genre in general is rather underappreciated on technic, for technical merit, but particularly Foley and sound design and sound mixing and sound editing within horror films can make or break a movie. Um, and I think that this has a very effective use of sound design, in my opinion. I think it's some of the best I've seen. And uh, and a lot of people disagree because they don't like the the jump scares. They don't like the crank the volume up to 11. It worked for me. I don't know what to tell you. I walked out of there going, okay, that was very fun and very nerve-wracking. Well, it worked for me too. Um, the sound editing you mentioned, I'll start there. It's it, dude, it is so good. It is. I mean, I, I can't praise it enough. What I've come to realize in recent, well, in this year, since I started doing uh, the podcast and watching more and more movies and just being more aware of what I was watching and why things were resonating with me, kind of practicing what I preach about uh, emotional takeaways and, and why I'm having those emotions, I have found that sound editing is probably one of the like top things that matters to me. Mm. Um you know, 10 Cloverfield Lane nails this and it's my favorite film of the year so far. And it, it has incredible sound, uh, mixing and editing in that. Um, I watched another film recommended by your podcast, the fear of God on your latest episode on 10 Cloverfield Lane. Wow. This is getting kind of crazy. Lots oh, of boy. Uh, connections here, but you guys <laughs> recommended hush, which is on Netflix. Uh, it's a horror film about, uh, a home invasion. It's basically, it's a home invasion thriller yeah. where the, the killer is, going after a deaf woman yeah. and oh man, the sound editing in that one is just stellar as well. It's wonderful. And it, it adds so much to the environment and that's what happened in Blair Witch for me, man. And I, I fully recommend if you, if you have gotten this far and you have not seen the movie yet, please go see this in the theater. That's what mm-hmm. I'm telling my friends. I'm telling them that if you have any interest in this film, you need to go see it in the theater because you are not going to get that experience at home. I don't care how good your surround sound is. It is not going to be the same. I mean, there were moments in this movie where I literally did jump out of my seat. Like I Mm. rose up (laughs) a couple (laughs) inches off of the seat because I was like shocked. So the sound adds so much. It, it helped fully immerse me in it and really enhanced all of the scares. I agree. I agree with you a little too much on the jump scares. For what it's worth, they were they were appropriately placed. I felt to the mm. point where I jumped every time. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe maybe we we are kind of tired of jump scares and they're overused and, uh, to some extent. But I mean, they did make me jump. Yeah, uh, I was never I was never um, like completely like oh oh that's not scary. Right. Um, some of the things that I loved about this film's kind of thing is that it just it felt like it was a building attention from the 
first moment, like the moment they get to the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, when that opening shot happens of them walking away from the cars, I, I just love that shot because you see the camera and it's just, you see the cars fading away in the background yeah. as they're walking down the woods and you know, like they're never going to see those cars again. You just, in your head, you're like, this is goodbye. Like this yeah. is a true goodbye moment. We know what's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen, but we can assume what is going to happen to these people. And this is like their, their moment of like embracing it now willingly. And so that was a big deal for me. And I felt like ever since that moment, the tension and the fear just kind of was growing and growing and growing to this, these few moments where there was just this crescendo and this explosion of terror. Um, the, the ones that stuck out to me that the tent going straight up in the air while they're just Ooh. sitting there arguing and freaking out. And then in the background, the tents just, whoosh, it's gone. Oh yes. I, I, I was dying. <laughs> I mean, I almost <laughs> peed my pants. Like it was, that was so crazy. Oh yeah. Um, the, you already mentioned the stick figure scene. That was just Ooh. unbelievably nuts. I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like that before. Um, and then, you know, the, uh, Ashley falling when Ashley fell from the tree, that was mm. an expected scare. And I think the beauty of what was done in that moment, we all knew Ashley was going to fall. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. We, we knew she was hurt. We knew she was making a bad choice. She's reaching out for this thing. The filmmaking is very, very obvious that she is going to fall out of that tree. What we don't expect is the moment she hits the ground and you hear that thud mm-hmm. for then you just, you get the whoosh and, and she's boom. She's dragged off screen like super fast. Yeah. That's the part that got me. Um, do you know so, what I, I, I apologize I for interrupting you, but do you know what I no, would, what I would have liked at that moment is that? as effective as that moment was, they, they didn't really capitalize on whatever that nasty thing in her foot was. Uh, and, and oh my goodness, which talk about another moment that was like, what are you doing? I thought when she falls to the ground from that tree, it would have been cool if instead of because it was really effective. I don't want to take anything away from the moment, but it would have been cool if instead of getting drugged away head first, if we heard that sound again that we'd been hearing from uh-huh. from Winterfoot, and like if that happened and her foot like twitched and then she gets drugged off foot first. Oh gosh, like, that would have been worse. like yeah. <laughs> as if that like tether thing. And, and I was oh, that just thinking about it gives me the willies. Oh, it does. It does. And, you know, that was another one of the scares is I'm assuming it's some sort of tapeworm that comes out of her leg. Ugh, um, yeah. And I don't I don't actually know if that's the same thing that was in her foot. I felt like the foot thing was like bark breaking out of her skin or something. I and mean, I thought I literally Ugh. thought I thought branches were going to pop out of her body. And that's oh what I was gosh. expecting. That's what I was expecting to happen, like stick figure like branches to come popping out. But anyway, that yeah, those those scenes were some of the scariest stuff for me. Um, the tent, actually, when the tent goes whooshing up, I, I thought it was a great nod to the original film because there's the iconic scene in Blair Witch Project where they're they're sitting there with cameras uh, on themselves and they have their flashlights beneath their face, like telling a scary story style. Right. And then you just hear the and the rumble and like she's like freaking out outside the tent. And mm-hmm. that was like the moment in Blair Witch Project that freaks everybody out. And so yeah. I felt like this was kind of a good playoff of that with the tent. Yeah, the that one is. thing with the scares for me, though, the other deal is that I thought that the film was brilliant in mixing different styles of horror. Mm. Um, 
So like the tunnel, right? The tunnel is the other big scary thing for me. I, oh yeah. I the claustrophobic nature of that moment of getting stuck and and going through that process was I didn't breathe. I literally was not breathing for probably the last third of this film. I remember yeah. getting I remember walking out of the theater and intentionally taking a very deep heavy breath because it just it had worn me out. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't I was so tense uh, tense from it. But you get that claustrophobic type of horror and then you get a gore type of horror with Ashley's foot and leg injuries. And then you get your psychological terror with the not seeing the Blair witch and what's going on. Right. And then at some point they even show the monster in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so all of these things just, I thought worked together really well to create a unique experience that was different from the first and yeah. modernized, you know, yeah. basing on the use of technology. But, and, and since I mentioned that, I'm curious what you think about that because the showing the monster is a big debate. You know, do we show the monster? Do we not show the monster? Which one is better? Cloverfield Cloverfield's a found footage film that had that question. You know, how much should you have shown the monster? Um, Would it have been better not to? And in this one, there are some moments where we see quote unquote, the the monster, we see the Blair witch or whatever that thing is. How did you feel about that? Oh, I loved it. I loved it. Okay. Um, in fact, I, it was one of the most exciting things about the movie for me. And one of the things that I loved is that they they referenced so briefly the idea that when she when the the Blair Witch had been killed, that they had you know they the legend was that they tied her to a tree that she just died from exposure. But then when they talk about the fact that no, she had been sort of kind of been put on a makeshift rack, which is a gruesome thing to think about. But then when you see the creature in those two, you know, blink and you'll miss it moments, um, when you see them and you see this big gangly thing with these elongated limbs, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's a brilliant creature design. I thought it was a very effective creature design and intensely effective, particularly the one outside the house. The one inside the house was effective, but the one outside the house that drives Lisa into the into the house to begin with, that one I was I was sitting in the theater just uh, about about to lose it, <laughs> honestly, yeah. because I, I was like, "That is okay. That is so creepy." Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you 100 percent here. Um, and, and it's funny because I typically fall on the don't show the monster side. Mm. And yet I did feel like it was effective here. And that, that moment is also one of the most terrifying because you realize right there with Lisa, when you're in it with her, that there's no good option anymore. There's no running. You're stuck. It's either that scary thing or in that scary house. And neither one of these is the right way to go, but you don't have a choice. Um, And that kind of fear in a character when you get to be in that moment with them is what is heightening about the horror genre in general. Sure. Um, speaking of uh, technical aspects, the cinema, the cinematography in general, not only in that scene, but um, in the in the showing of the monster, but the way in which the the shots take place running through the house is just incredibly done. I, I liked it in general. I thought it was better than Blair Witch Project or a more enjoyable experience. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a little bit. It's a less shaky experience. Yeah, it's still there's still plenty of shaky cam, but I felt like it was, I don't know, it just felt more appropriate and more controlled than it did mm-hmm. in in the Blair Witch Project to me. 
And so yeah. I enjoyed it. The, there's a great final shot in this film of, you know, the camera on its side and the raindrops. Yeah. Pumping Oof. down. And of course the sound in that moment too. It's, uh, I just, I thought, I mean, we don't talk a lot about technical aspects on this, on this show, but I thought this film was technically incredibly sound. Mm-hmm. And for me, that led to kind of my overall impressions of it, where I've used the, I've kind of landed on the phrase for this one of, I think that Blair Witch is in many ways, the superior film. It's a superior mm-hmm. made film, but it's not necessarily a superior experience overall mm. um, for me. Yeah. So there's a couple more things that I wanted to hit on before we end. And one of those is the characters in the movie. Um, so this one introduces more than just our, our three main characters that are going trekking in the woods. They end up meeting up with Lane and Talia and those two carry in, carry, carry with them through the story in various ways. And I, I wondered what you thought about that. Did you like the addition of those characters? And in, and then in general terms, did you enjoy the development of all of the characters or any of the characters? Um, and how did those kind of compare to you to the original three in the Blair Witch Project? Um, I So one of the things about the characters is I think that the first thing that I would point to as missed opportunity is the technological advancements and the opportunities there. The second thing I would point to as a missed opportunity is I think the characters are a little plastic. I think they're a little underdeveloped. Um, I don't even really know, aside from, um, oh gosh, and now the main guy's name is escaping me, but uh, other than, uh, oh, what is that character? Josh, yes. No, 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 uh, James. James, James. James. The the, the brother of Josh was original movie, Josh and Mike, yeah. Yes, exactly. So uh, other than James, I don't know why any of them are there. Like I know the sort of, you know, write it down on paper reason for them to be there, but what drives them as people or as characters, I don't really know that much about them. And so I think that was another missed opportunity for that reason. I think the characters in the original film are much more compelling because we, we learn a lot more about them and how they respond to fear and how they, you know, their own sort of internal paranoia develops, um, even through some decisions that I think are kind of silly, like in the original film where he tosses the way the map and I'm like, why in the world would you ever do that? You know, but it, it tells you something about that character and how he responds to moments of frustration and anxiety is that he makes bad choices. Um, but uh, as far as this new one, I feel like that was a real missed opportunity. I didn't connect as strongly to these characters as I did, and this is part of why I like the film. What I connected to the most, incidentally, was the character of the Blair Witch. <laughs> like I feel like right. I learned a lot more about the character of the Blair Witch than I did any of her victims. Um, and, and that I think is another reason why I actually enjoyed this film, contrary to some of my peers or some other friends who didn't, um, I feel like the most interesting character in this movie is the Blair Witch. And, uh, in the original one, we didn't really know much of anything about that, that, uh, about, uh, the character of the Blair Witch or the mythos or anything like that. But I feel like we learn a lot more. Um, I read in either the trivia or the advertisement promotion or something where they said the first one was about characters getting lost. These characters are being hunted. 
And it very quickly, as I'm, you know, as I'm walking out of the film, it very quickly solidified for me that the character I found the most compelling in that was the Blair Witch. And for that reason, I, I really responded very strongly to it. Wow. Very interesting. Not, not what I was expecting, uh, for <laughs> you to say, or for anybody to say, actually. So that is, that's some cool stuff, man. Um, I, you make a lot of sense with that. You really do. Um, Thank you. She, you're welcome. Uh, she gets a lot more backstory here, as you mentioned earlier, and a lot more just fleshed out. As then yeah. she's just not just the myth. Um, she's not just the unknown terror. It's kind of like she has a reason to be a terror, and that right. that gives her more value. I you know I had a much similar experience with the characters themselves. I wasn't as connected to them. Lisa for me is the best character. Um, I mm-hmm. really singled in on her. I loved her arc. Um, I thought that she not only was there to support or, or to make her film, but I thought that she quickly became supportive enough of James uh, when the time came. And when they got scared, it became more about that. Re- I thought that they had a true, honest, close relationship um, that was sure. growing throughout the movie to the point where I bought the ending uh, when mm-hmm. she would turn around and, and it would, she, he would matter enough to her to do that. Um, yeah, I agree. What I what I also liked is more so than the original three. These characters don't spend the whole film fighting with each other, and while it made right. sense thematically, it made sense for the story in the original film. It, it did. It was it was a little bit of a wear on you because they they did they spent a lot of time just arguing and yelling at each other, and in this one they don't. They're right. pretty much they're pretty much in cahoots. They agree with each other and they mm-hmm. want to be safe and save each other. So I, I liked that a lot. Um, but yeah, like I, I asked the same question, why are they all there? And then mm-hmm. with Lane and Talia specifically, the only reasons I can even come up with to place them there, bring us to our final kind of topic, which is the ending. And yeah. so my, I, I will say, I guess let's, let's kind of do this in two, two parts or two questions. First, the first part, quite part of this question that I want to discuss is, what did you think about the ending? Did you like how this movie played out? And then the second part is what the heck is up with Lane and Talia and what is going on? Just what is going on with that whole situation? So those are, those are the two kind of pieces to the ending that I wanted to talk about. Um, well, I think my response to the first one is I, I enjoyed the ending. I was expecting the same ending from the first one. So, so for me, we talked earlier about expectations. For me, it wasn't uh, a departure and it wasn't a disappointment to have things wind up the exact same way that they did in the first one. And I, uh, albeit might be in the minority, I felt that I appreciated understanding why they were in the corner, getting some hint at a backstory of why they were in the corner, and getting some hint of what would cause them to to turn around. You know, you talked about Lisa earlier. I think earlier in the show I mentioned that with the with one exception everything was jump scares. Well, the one exception is what you had mentioned earlier about her getting stuck in that tunnel underneath the house. And if you want to talk about give me a heart attack, but that that whole sequence where she's stuck under there, that was tapping into something I probably need to go see a therapist about because that was <laughs> really really terrifying to me the idea of getting stuck down there in something like that and i would almost even make a case that that she rather than james is the main character of the movie i that, would fully uh, agree with that 
think that she comes through the biggest sort of emotional beats. We connect the most with her, I think. Um, and so in the end, when she's, you know, reaching for his hand, like you said, it's a, it's, it's a valid relationship. It's a believable relationship. And then ultimately she makes a really rather smart decision. I'm not going to look, I mean, we know she's doomed, but okay. I'm not going to look at it directly. I'm going to use the camera and I'm going to look sort of in a backwards way, but then she hears his voice. And I kind of knew that was coming because when he was turning around, he was like, Heather, is that you? And I was like, oh, crap. If you hear his voice, don't turn around. If you hear his voice, don't turn around. Oh, you heard his voice. No! You know, like that was my mm-hmm. whole sort of emotional beat. Um, so I I liked the ending and I responded positively to the ending. It didn't disappoint my expectations. It pretty much met them. Now about Lane and Talia. So uh, the if there is a character that I think is somewhat criminally underused, I think it's actually, well, maybe Peter, but I think it's probably Talia because Talia is there for really only one reason, and that is the stick scene. To eventually. Like that, that's the. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. To, to eventually get, uh, shall we say, broken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but but uh, for Lane, it was interesting because he has some skin in the, in the game. He's this, uh, and he and she both are kind of, they, they follow these sort of mythological characters. They're compelled by the ideas of the woods now one thing that i thought was interesting is we clearly see that the video they're shooting at the end is the same video that brought our four other characters into the woods you know that he wasn't actually viewing something of heather he was viewing something of of lisa in that moment and i thought that was interesting but what i would have liked to have seen a little bit more of especially with the fact that lane is in the house is i would have liked a little bit more maybe maybe an actual scene Take your moment. I, I, I don't think it would have diverted the fear too much and might have substantiated some other things. If you take another moment and have Lane actually try to connect with Lisa, you know, like he said that really creepy thing where he said, you look just how I remember you. And he's got this full beard and he's like soot faced. And you can tell he's been there for a very long time, a very, very long time. Um, but then when he said to her, you look just like I remember you, I got this sense of like, wow, time is really nebulous in this whole Blair Witch world thing i would have liked to have had to maybe had him throw a comment out or something like that like like i tried to i tried to do something i've tried to connect to the the you know i've tried to connect to the internet i've tried to do something i uploaded this video or whatever it was you know like trying to say that he had been trying all of these different things to get out and unsuccessfully uh that would have made his involvement in the climax a little bit more substantiated to me than it was. As it was, I felt like they really took his character and all he was was just to present the threat of the circular time travel loop. Um, And I think they could have done a little bit more with that. So the ending itself didn't bother me, but I did feel that the Lane and Talia characters were, um, were a bit underused, again, getting back to the missed opportunities thing that we've been talking about. Yep, I uh, read it much the same way, and my buddy, I went to see it with uh, another Feel and Film listener, friend, um, member of our Facebook group, Jason, and he he felt, he, he actually said something, you know, afterwards when we were talking on our way out about how directors a lot of times will do this. They will leave things unresolved to some extent, and their expectation is that you fill in the gap with what mm-hmm. you want to believe happened. Right, And he was saying that he doesn't always think that that's the best move because sometimes you don't want to have to fill in the gap. Like I don't want to have to figure out what I think maybe might have happened. 
I would like you to tell me what your vision was, like what was supposed to happen. <laughs> and, mm. you know, there's there's a time and place for both. And I fully understood why he he felt that way about this, because there's a lot of lead up to that moment. And you th- you think you're going to get the answers and then you, you kind of don't get the answers. You know, you just don't. Yeah. There's still a bunch of questions there. Um, and, and I guess the only answer we really get is that ultimately the Blair Witch still exists and still wins, uh, you know, and but right. what is, what else has gone on and why is the question that's not answered. So I, I too felt that while I enjoyed the journey of it, that the ending did feel somewhat unresolved to me and I would have preferred, mm-hmm. preferred more specific answers. Um, as for Lane, well, one other thing on the ending, I actually thought that the film was going to end when Lisa was stuck in the tunnel. I, oh. I truly believe that when she started crying and when we, when there was a moment where she resolves, well, before she resolves to get out where she almost accepts her fate, oh. just her body language feels like she's accepting it. And she just kind of cry screams and just, is there. And I thought we yeah. were going to cut to credits at that point, And I was dying. Like I was oh. just dying. Um, and, and that would have worked as well. But obviously I think it's better that it continued on. Sure. Um, but so with Lane, my thing with Lane was, you know, the whole time travel aspect is what, what got me. And that's where I needed more, more, more information to process at least to be able to mm. form my own opinion. We clearly see that it's Lisa in the picture that they saw. Yeah, way back when they first started the journey, Lane does say twice when he when they meet up with them in the woods after you know breaking apart from Lane and Talia, he says it's been five days, and then right. the next time when you mentioned when he talks to them and he says you know I feel like I I you look the same as I remember you. It's been like and he says it's been like either two or five years. He he mentions a time I believe. Oh, um, maybe yeah. he says it feels like it's been five years or something, but he. He does mention a time there. So we know that tons of time has passed and it's like, why what's going on and and how was he luring them? And and really was the Blair witch using this? Like, I guess what are her powers? Like why? (laughs) That's my thing. Like she, she has the ability. It's a revenge ghost story, right? Mm -hmm. Essentially. But why does she now suddenly have time altering abilities and the future and that's the answers that I, I got really confused about and needed. I wondered if Lane was some sort of reincarnation of the other character that we, we know about. I forgot the guy's name, Ronald Par, Paro or Parma or uh, something. Rustin Par, maybe? Rustin Par. There we go. Oh, yeah. um, and he's supposed to be one that lures the kids into the home, right? Like that's mm. his part of the story. Yeah. And this is what Lane has been doing. And so I almost yeah. wondered if Lane is Rustin Parr and that he is this this reincarnated loop or of some kind that is, is being oh, used wow. by the Blair Witch to lure. Um, that was pretty much how I landed on that because I'll just say my mind hurts. Um, it made my mind <laughs> hurt, but you know, you know what? Ultimately, it's not a huge negative for me because I enjoy that. But I can sure. see how it could be a turnoff to some people. Um, sure. Because it's more than just a straight horror film. It does get you some of that psychological mind bendiness uh, in there. Yeah. But I like it for that. Um, all right. Well, I think we've pretty much nailed most of the big stuff. I, I got to ask you because this is feeling film. Um, ultimately, your final thoughts on the movie. Like, how did it make you feel? And did you love it? Did you like it? Where do you land? 
Um, I walked out of the film loving it, and I think I said probably 20 times that was just so much fun. It was fun to feel that scared, like to feel that tense in that moment. Uh, the few days following when I've started started thinking about the story beats a little bit more, that that uh, sort of affection has tempered a little bit, and now I've I've come to recognize like, okay, there were some things that that, like we've talked about, were missed opportunities that sort of dampened that a little bit. But I think overall... The film just made me feel good to see a scary movie in the theater again, and I felt like it was uh, effective enough that I was satisfied with having seen it, and I was satisfied that somebody had tried to tackle this property again. Um, so again, I just I enjoy me some good scary movies, and I didn't feel like this was a waste of my time. I know some people specifically said that they thought it was. I did not feel that way at all. I thought um, it gave me a decent 90 minute thrill ride. Um, and for that reason, I mean, I, in the theater, I was tense. I was jumpy. I was scared. I had a couple of cathartic little, uh, you know, kind of <laughs> moments. And, uh, and that was fun. That was very, very fun for me. Uh, so I have, I have nothing but thanks to say to the film for giving me, giving me that despite the things that I would say that they could have done better. You know, I had almost just say ditto and be done. Uh, because I, I feel literally the same way as you. Uh, it, it was very good, not great. It was not greatness. Um, mm-hmm. As I mentioned earlier, the experience overall for me can't touch my experience with Blair Witch Project. You know, I told the story. Yeah. Um, I always have that. I, I came home thinking about that experience, thinking about um, that that time in that hotel and and those that that tree brushing up against the the window and even after seeing this one like that's what I think about so yeah it it, ha- it doesn't reach that height but it was a very good enjoyable experience and I'm glad I saw it in the theater and I think it's a worthy theater watch I think it's worth the money um, yeah and I enjoyed the tension of it I enjoyed the additional storytelling uh, that we got from it and you know I'd be I'd be interested to find out more now because it did give me yeah. enough questions that I would like answers to. So yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I think it's definitely a thumbs up uh, from both of us and absolutely uh, a good fun ride. Well, Reed, let's go ahead and end this one. But uh, before we do that, as always, I like to give everybody a chance to know how they can connect with us so that if they want to share their thoughts or dispute anything we've said or, you know, just just in general, just uh, have feedback for us about what was talked about. Uh, where can they find you on the internet, and what all projects are you working on? Well, the the main thing right now, you can find me on the internet. Uh, my my podcast, as you mentioned, the Fear of God, where my co-host Nathan and I. Uh, look at horror films from a Christian perspective. I also do a lot of work as one of the rotating co-hosts on More Than One Lesson, uh, and you can find some articles on morethanonelesson.com where I've uh, written just responses to film in general, not just in the horror genre, but film in general. I'm on Twitter, at Reed Lackey. Um, you could also, at The Fear of God is our uh, official handle for the podcast. Um, you can also uh, like the fear of God podcast on Facebook as well. Um, and we didn't open it up as a group yet, but we're talking about it, considering it. And we might, might do something like that. As of right now, it's just a, a post that you can like and follow. Um, but you can definitely find me on Twitter again at Reed Lackey. And, um, I would love, you know, you can also email me at, uh, 
fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. All one word, just fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Awesome. And Reed is also in the Feeling Film Facebook group uh, and active there. So if you make sure some comments on, on this episode's post there, I'm sure he's going to see those and would be able to respond uh, as well. If you want to find me, I'm at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, everywhere, Twitter, Facebook, etc. The show is at Feeling Film. That's F-E-E-L-I-N-F-I-L-M, Twitter, Facebook, etc. There is an awesome Facebook group to join where lots of conversation happens. We'd love to have you there. And you can check out the website for older episodes and a few blog posts, things like that, at feelinfilm.com. Next week, we don't have a mini-sode scheduled. Uh, These are pretty rare. So thankful thankful for Reed being here. Um, We'll resume our normal schedule uh, this next Sunday coming up with the review of The Magnificent Seven that we're looking forward to. And... You know, maybe we will have a read back on for the next big horror movie. Who knows? Uh, he seems oh, to be, I love it. Seems to be pretty good at that genre. So anywho, man, <laughs> thank you so much for, for being here to talk about Blair Witch with me. I really appreciate it, and I had a lot of fun. Oh, man, I had so much fun. I just have to say in passing, Aaron, that uh, I just I love what you and Patrick do so much. I think your show is really great. There's a lot of negativity out there, and I just love that you guys are, are really keeping the conversation up, and I'm really honored to be part of the show. Thanks so much for having me. You are very welcome, and we appreciate that feedback. So for everybody listening, I uh, hope you've enjoyed it, and until the next one, stay positive and keep feeling film. <laughs> <laughs>